At this time, I want to bring up uh, Terry up here. And uh, we have the privilege today of uh, honoring, honoring our veterans today. And Terry, yeah, come on. Go ahead, Terry. And he's going to begin us off today. Good morning, church. Um, as you uh, walked into the church, you probably noticed uh, some flags that were hanging down. Those flags are to uh, honor our veterans and our country. Um, this morning, um, we'd like to honor all of our vets. And this morning, um, I'm going to have a gentleman come up that um, is a, uh, a veteran who served many years in the military who's a real, true American hero. And it's an honor of mine to have this man as a friend. And um, he's uh, done a lot of great things for this country. And I'd just like to honor him and have him come up. And he's going to be uh, reading some, uh, some poetry and prayer for you. And um, Paul Frazier, I want you to come up here, sir. Thank you. I went to there. <laughs> Not used to speaking this long. I went to another opening today. It wasn't a happy event. It was the opening of a lawn at the cemetery. The lawn was laid back in the dirt, carefully placed out of the way. A tastefully somber canopy was set up to keep the sun off the family. All in all, a peaceful opening of the welcoming arms of another earth. Mother Earth received another of her children today, perhaps not one of the more tolerant or contemplative, but one of her more tormented children haunted by scenes of his own near-adulthood rites of passages, the ones that took him across the sea to a foreign land where many of his friends laid down their lives for him and their other friends. He has missed, missed his friends so much all these years, he thought that he could have helped them survive. All in all, noble thoughts from a humbled man some will say that he died with those friends from so long ago that he never really came home as when he left the year before. He was alive and for a while celebrated the life with wine, woman, and song. But the wine turned to whiskey and the women, 
Well, let's just say you wouldn't normally bring one home to your parents' house for dinner. The song became the song and dance routine he got at the VA when he bounced off the bottom a while back. They didn't help much, just substituted Thorazine for alcohol for a while. There wasn't much of a family there the other day. They'd given up and allowed him to get lost, much as he had demanded of them to do in his drunken stupors. Give up and leave me alone, he would cry. Though some of us knew he was never alone, the ghost of his friends and his enemies would stand by him almost quietly, patiently waiting for him. He found God there once, standing patiently to help him survive another recuperation after a fight. The chaplain almost had him clean, dry, and sober for almost a year before the ghost of his buddies got him thinking again and drinking. We met during one of those half-and-half half periods, one of those times when he was only half sober and half employed because of the half that wasn't sober. We became friends of some sort, one that I couldn't describe. He disappeared one day, sort of wandered off, I only heard of his death the day before his funeral. He finally found all of his friends and a way to join them in their final peacefulness. Now the flag is folded and a family member clutches it. The coffin is lowered into the waiting earth and the family leaves. Not knowing what to do or having anything better, I've watched the closing of the gaping hole in Mother Earth, thinking that peace shouldn't come from one's own hands. Peace should come from within one's own heart and the shared happiness of friends. And I wish I could have been a better friend. This is a prayer that I wrote. Another one. Once I did walk away from my brother, I practiced his death daily. I knew that his destruction was assured, for I walked with death. The cold steel weapon I carried would be the tools of his death. I felt that they would be pried loose only if death struck me in battle, wrapping its cold, sodden arms around me. Many, so as to be uncountable, fell in my path to darkness, and I knew that I walked in darkness boldly because it was my home and my safety. I chose to leave this path now, gladly, light within me now fills the world. The boundaries of the universe are no longer boundaries for the light within. My light is the light of God. It burns brightly and does not consume me, but it warms and comforts me. No matter where I travel, 
where I am. God is. There is no darkness that is so deep that it cannot be filled with light. My brothers now welcome me as they open their house and their lives, knowing that our Father's peace is now with me as it is with them. We quarrel no more, no more contention. I walk in unconditional peace, and I ask you all to walk this walk with me now. Thank you. can be seated. I love the honesty. We know we've been going through a series of emotional health, and it's important for us to be as most us as possible under the submission of Christ. And and uh, you always do that, Paul. You're very honest. I, I love that. At this time, we have a couple videos for you guys, and uh, uh, just please uh, listen. Spent four years in the Army from 1970 to 1974. Got out of the Army in June, and uh, three months later I joined the Navy, and um, spent three years in the Navy before I got out. Okay. Where were you stationed that was truly memorable? Uh, my ten months in Vietnam were pretty memorable. It's harder to forget that than a lot of places because um, there was a lot of fighting where I was. Um, there, I, I was wounded twice in Vietnam and I lost some really good friends from my Special Forces A team um, in Vietnam. And it's hard to let go of people like that. And then I spent three years in Germany where I got Blown up three more times. <laughs> what were some things that you learned from your time in the service that you could apply to your life and that others should know? Never ever give up. Never ever give up. Don't give in. Never surrender. Never let yourself be overtaken by someone who thinks that they're better than you. 
stay humble, but still don't lose yourself in other people. Great. At this time, they're going to play taps in remembrance of all our veterans and uh, those who have uh, fallen. So as we continue, um, just in a more serious mindset today, as we've been talking about veterans, we also come to the next chapter in our series on emotionally healthy spirituality. So we've been talking a lot about having an emotionally healthy spiritual life, of being vulnerable with people, um, about uh, diving into the family history that really determines a lot about you, and also the need for courageous vulnerability, just like we saw from Paul today as he shared some of his thoughts, being vulnerable with people about your past experiences. And we talked last week about how God has made us each with limits set in place, that we have different limits based on our past experiences, uh, based on the families we come from, based on our personalities. And this week, we are actually going to talk about grief and loss and how embracing grief and loss really helps you to be a more vulnerable person who can be used by God to help others who have gone through the same things. So it's very fitting that we remember veterans today and all they've done to serve and also how they still help people in their community and around them as they share from their experiences. Let's go ahead and take a moment to pray before we begin. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all of our veterans who have served this country we pray that you would be with them on um, this weekend of remembrance, that you would help them as maybe they struggle through some things uh, from their past, that they would know that they can always turn to you with those burdens. 
And we pray for us as we uh, get into an emotional topic that you would be with us, that you would help us to truly open ourselves up to what you might be working out in our lives through this series and through the idea of embracing those past hurts that maybe we haven't dealt with fully. So we pray you'd be with us, that you would bless the study of your word and the gathering of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So for a lot of us, loss doesn't look like military service. Uh, for a lot of us, loss has appeared in different ways in our lives. It could have been the death of a family member. It could have been a dream that's never been fulfilled or a fracture in close family relationships. It could be a miscarriage or maybe it's just a pervasive feeling that your life hasn't turned out the way you had hoped. Uh, maybe it is a broken church community. Maybe it's an absent parent or a stolen childhood. There is an element of humanity common to all of us known as suffering. And the pervasiveness of these situations wasn't any different in the time of Jesus. So as we dive into what it looks like to embrace grief and loss, we're also going to see how the Bible speaks to that. In the book we've been basing this series on, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro lays out three phases to embracing grief and loss. The first one is paying attention. Second is waiting in the confusing in-between. And third is allowing the old to birth the new. So when we look at this topic through the lens of scripture, like I said, we find that loss, grief, suffering have been a part of humanity's story since Genesis, since the fall, since this world became broken. So we're going to see how Jesus dealt with suffering and loss as we turn to John chapter 11. Celebrate the word of God here at Hill City. You're new with us, I know. Uh, sometimes that's surprising the first time, but I love it. I love hearing people cheer for the word of God. So in John chapter 11, we see a very familiar story, the story of Lazarus. And we're going to skip down to verse 17, but I'm going to just summarize that beginning portion. We know Jesus was friends with a group of siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and that he would stay at their house and fellowship with them, and that he often stopped there in Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. And we find out in John chapter 11 that Martha and Mary have sent a message to Jesus telling him that Lazarus is very, very sick. And instead of hurrying on his way with his disciples to come to Bethany and be with his friend, he actually tells them that it is God's plan that they wait. And so there's this uncomfortable situation where he's waiting and then another message comes a couple days later saying, well, actually now Lazarus has died. And he explains this to his disciples in what can look like a really uh, callous way. He keeps talking about the, around the subject until finally he has to tell his disciples straight out, no, Lazarus is dead. 
And the disciples' reaction, you can look in verse 16, is really interesting. Thomas making the comment, yes, let's go be with him. Let's go and die too. But that just shows the depth of feeling and relationship that they all had with this family, that the death of this friend was so impactful that Thomas could make a comment like that is really interesting. So starting in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Let's pause here for a moment and settle into verses 32 and th through 35, even if you feel like you have heard them before. We have these sisters who, uh, previous to this, have sat at Jesus' feet. They've been his disciples. They've learned from him, served him meals in their home, and who now, despite the fact that they have just lost their brother, are showing an amazing amount of faith in him because their comment is, if only you had been here, Lord. And why is that? Because they knew, as Martha said, who he was, that he was the son of God, the Messiah, and that he could do miracles. He could easily have saved Lazarus. And when Jesus sees them, his dear, dear friends, he is deeply distressed those Greek words in verse 33 are really interesting. The first one that's translated deeply moved is also used usually in the Bible actually for anger to express a deep-seated emotion of displeasure or irritation. And here it's used with the other word to show the intensity of what Jesus is feeling, that this is an emotion that has uh, taken over his body. The second, translated troubled, speaks of experiencing deep turmoil. It actually means to be shaken up. And you can see between those two words that what we see, uh, what we see Jesus expressing is that he was as fully human 
as he was fully God and therefore experienced deeply the same human emotions that we do. It didn't matter that Jesus knew what was going to happen. It didn't matter that he was obeying God and waiting to go back to see them. He didn't let the fact that he was God prevent him from engaging this moment and the emotions that came with it. And Jesus should be our example too. Too often with our own grief or loss, we really want to disassociate from it. We want to distract ourselves, uh, get very busy, get on with life, tamp down all those emotions and box them up. But there is no way to actually work through grief and loss if you don't allow yourself, as Cazero says for phase one, to pay attention to it. You have to make space for that loss. God is not interested in you slapping on a happy face and pretending everything is okay. He wants you to pay attention to what you're going through. The same scripture that says rejoice always also gives us all of the lamenting psalms, like Psalm 88. You'll see it on the screen. I'm just going to read a couple verses. But part of it goes, why, Lord, do you reject me? And hide your face from me. The last verse goes, You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This was included in scripture for a reason. It wasn't given the divine airbrush to try to touch it up and make it happier. The laments, uh, as Pete Scazzaro writes, pay attention to the reality that life can be hard, difficult, and sometimes brutal. They take notice of the apparent absence of God. They notice when circumstances seem to say that God is not good. They cry out to God for comfort and care. Jesus wept. We like to remember that verse, but do you remember the last time you wept? Like really wept? Do you allow yourself to? In the account from John 11, Mary comes to Jesus weeping, and he weeps with her. This means we are also meant to pay attention to the grief of others. Why is it so often in church that's the last place you want to show that you're going through something? Why is it the last place that hurting people want to go? Far too often, churchy people are the ones at funerals who are saying, you know, he or she, they're, they're in a better place now. You know, it's all part of that mysterious plan God has. <laughs> As a person who's lost someone, you do not want to hear that. You're just suffering the intensity of not wanting that person to be gone, even if you know that they're with Jesus. Please remember the example of Jesus. He didn't stop Mary and say, you know what? Need to give you a little lesson on eschatology and heaven and where everyone ends up. Let's do that right now. He wept with her. He was there with her. Don't turn away or ignore people. Don't try to explain why, because you are probably wrong. Just be with them, weep with them, lament what they've lost. 
Because it, and I think this is really important, we miss it sometimes, it's all right to be angry about loss. Because grief and loss are representative of coming eye to elbow with the great bentness of the world, of how broken everything is. They're not supposed to be part of this creation. And when you validate that for somebody else, you're letting them see past the brokenness to what things should be like, to what we all truly long for, a new creation with no more tears, no more loss, and no more grief. Continuing in verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? This group had been waiting a long time. The sisters had gone through the process of watching Lazarus die. They had gone through the practice, which took a lot longer back then, and your family did it, of wrapping the body, anointing the body, transferring it to the tomb. And they had watched that stone roll over the entrance, cutting Lazarus off from the land of the living. And still, they were waiting for Jesus. Four days after that, waiting and wondering if their friend would ever show. Meanwhile, their house was full of people, sticking around, comforting them, but probably also questioning this Jesus guy, this friend of yours, is he ever going to show up? And even in these verses we just read, the doubts remembered because the body has started to decay. And though Martha may believe that Jesus can do anything, I wonder if she really believed he could turn a rotting body back into her brother. If the first phase in embracing grief is to pay attention to it, then the second is to wait in the uncomfortable and confusing in-between. When all hope is lost, when God seems absent and Jesus has apparently disregarded your invitation. When prayers don't seem to work. Yes, you may have examined your grief, paid attention to it, figured out why you're sad, but then what? What do you do with the stench of decaying hopes in the in-between? The Bible is actually full of these times, though we don't usually notice it. It took about 25 years between God's first promise to Abraham and the birth of Isaac. It took 20 years between David being anointed and actually becoming king of all of Israel. Anna waited in the temple for 60 years to see the promised Messiah walk through the doors with his parents. But what we see as amazing fulfillment of promises, those great stories, are actually just the high points in a long life of waiting, in the in-between when doubt sets in. And when we are experiencing that, it's too easy to pull away from everything to pull away from God, from community, from the disciplines that keep us connected to them. For those of us with friends and family in this place, we just want them to snap out of it. 
to be positive, to practice some thankfulness, you know? But actually, it may be the wilderness is where we are supposed to go meet them. The wilderness in the Bible was always a place of testing, but it was also a place of new birth and new creation. And as Christians, the point isn't getting out quick. It's actually to dwell there with Jesus in the wilderness, expressing honestly our doubts and fears. For my family, for the past five years or so, it's been a real time of transition and a time of wilderness. It's been different for all of us, but we've all kind of been going through that stage. And it all started with um, losing a church community, of having to leave the church I grew up in. And it was a real time of in-between, feeling the loss of community, of ministry, of friendships, a loss of innocence about how Christians should act, about how church life should be. And it still is reverberating this far out, and it's incredibly difficult. I could not give you a top 10 list of the things I learned in the wilderness of leaving a church or whatever. Somebody would make into a snappier title than that. But I do know that this time has instilled in me more than probably any other time in my life the need to hang on to God with everything I have, even when that doesn't feel like very much. People are always going to disappoint us, and I think more so in the in-between when we feel like we've been struggling too long. But the in-between is also where we find God, between heaven and earth, walking with us. Where Christianity differs from so many worldviews is that we don't see the, these times as proof of life's meaninglessness or brutality, but we see ourselves entering into the story of the Messiah who suffers, the God who put himself on the cross to ensure that the in-between doesn't end in despair, but in a resurrection. The last phase to embracing grief is to let the old birth the new, to let God work through brokenness to remake us. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's close with this thought. I am 100% sure that after this day, Martha and Mary and Lazarus still went through suffering and still had grief and still experienced loss. After all, they were humans living in this world. But they had seen firsthand what happens for every person who entrusts their sorrows, their hearts, and their lives to Christ. New life in this world and in the next Believers who come through something difficult and come out the other side, entrusting the process to God, 
are some of the most encouraging and genuine people that you ever meet. Because there's something about the brokenness that they wear that draws other people to them. In them, we recognize the maturity that grief brings. They live comfortably with themselves. They're not trying to put on a fake face when they welcome you to church. They'll be the last people to give you easy answers to life's mysteries. And they display great sensitivity and great fearlessness as they tackle life and the brokenness of this world, entrusting themselves to the God who resurrects. May that also be said of us. Let's take a moment. Let's just, let's just bow our heads. I think we all have faced loss. And some more recent than others. And we were told just to rejoice. We didn't read the whole psalm. Where we come before God honestly. Where we come before God broken. I believe a lot of people in their lives get stuck right here where they no longer can be honest before God because it hurts. And so they walk wounded, not embracing the pain, not embracing the, the grief and loss. I know some of you guys are facing broken relationships. Some of you have faced death in a family or death of a dream. Death of a, just all these things that are going on in our life. And instead of faking it and suppressing it, and I believe God wants to join you. We serve a God who weeps with us. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that we would bring up these things to you, God. And instead of hiding it from you and saying, you can't have this part of my life, you don't understand, God. It's too raw. It's too volatile. Instead, can we ask God to enter into the, I don't know, the shadow side, the, the side that we share with no one. And walk with us. And I have no simple answer for you like, that's all you need to do, then you'll be well. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Can we walk with God even when we don't understand? Just take a moment. If there's something in your life that you, a broken dream, a broken promise, a broken relationship... death and loss. Can we allow God into that place?
the gospel it's not just the this victory but it's it's the pain and the suffering so it's not it's not just this one thing we're entering into the full gospel of Jesus we're walking with him in in his in his life and in his suffering and in his pain and also his resurrection and his victory we can't get lost we don't want to just uh, turn this into just something just just easy news it's good news because there's a bad news it's not easy news but we are relating we are holding we are getting connected with the whole gospel the whole gospel and Hannah did such a great job I'm so grateful but if you are here today and you are far from Jesus and today's and you you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you I ask you take just one more step and just ask God God what next with me God what next what do you want to do next and if that's you we have a welcome table in the back we have people who want to speak to you we have this whole thing set up so that people can walk and learn about God and know him in the good and in the sufferings of life and we want to walk with you together in life that's what the church is the church is not a building the church is the people right in here with beautiful stories of defeat and of victory we all have both stories trust me of loss and grief of joy and the goodness of God let's all stand today Heavenly Father I pray in the name of Jesus Lord God if there's anyone in here who needs to take one more step towards you God I pray God, more than anything, that you would walk with us, Lord God, and bring healing to our hearts, not because we are hiding our emotions, not because we are faking where we're really at, but we are embracing you where we're at, God. Thank you for the work that you are doing in Hill City. It is our pains that draw us together and understand each other, Lord, more than even our victories, God. I pray that we can own that too in our story. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You guys can be seated. I forgot to do the offering thing as I, as I do. But guys, if you can come forward. I got a couple announcements. And uh, it's in your, uh, Megan, you want to come up? You want to show that? This is really important to us right here. Yeah, you guys can start passing that around. Is Bethany is maybe here, but it's okay. Beth, you want to say anything about this? And you guys give Bethany a hand. She's our new children's director. It's a dirty trick you're playing. <laughs> uh. Um, we're doing Operation Christmas Child, which, for those of you who don't know, they send Christmas gifts all over the world to children in countries who might not otherwise receive gifts. So we're collecting items, and there's a sign-up genius that we sent out on the email. So if you don't get our emails, you can sign up for that, or um, you can ask one of us. Um, yeah, and we're going to post it. There's a link on Facebook, according to Megan. 
Um, or you can donate cash. And then um, starting next Sunday during service, we're going to do a packing party with all the kids. We're going to fill up. We're hoping to do 24 boxes. So, um, yeah, if you're able to donate, that would be awesome. Excellent. Give her a hand. Whoa. Sorry, guys. They always have to tweak the mics because I have an extra loud Korean voice. All right? So I apologize for that. Uh, here. Here, I'm going to hold that. Also, there's a community table going on on November 18th. Please put that in your phones. We're inviting our community of our city. We're getting actually quite a bit of response from all over. We're just inviting people to dinner because we believe there's a relational poverty in Thornton. And the best way to deal with relational poverty is just having dinner together. There's something beautiful about dinner all over the Bible. I won't go there, but we'll just, I will close. But thank you, Lord, for today. I pray that these people will actually put that into their schedules and come out and eat together and, and, and enjoy, Lord God, being known, God. We all need it. And I pray that if we feel that way, that we can be that for someone else, Lord. Lord, that is also joining in with your story, the gospel. We love you. We thank you for the word that went forth. It will not return void, God. Let it continue to work on us all throughout the week and in groups. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you guys for being here.